Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Tom, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Hey, Ronnie. Yeah. Listen, I got a very good reaction to our last podcast. And do you know who's the hero of what we spoke about? Shoots. Several people asked me, tell me more about Shoots. <laughs> so, of know, course he is. People enjoyed him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, they loved him. He, yeah, what a guy. Uh, I had a very good friend, Des Collins, a doctor who was a GP in Renmore, and yeah. uh, <clears throat> when he was a medical student, he was coming out of college one day with a friend, and they saw shoots coming up the street. <laughs> so he said to his mate, look, you distract him, and I'll ambush him from behind, you see. And they did exactly that. And they had all the jargon, you know, the, the yeah. John Wayne speak stuff and everything. Yeah, yeah. And then fast forward, <clears throat> several months and Des was doing his final medical exams and <clears throat> he with his class was being toured around wards by a consultant uh, in his long white coat you know trying to yes. remember all, all the anticipate important. all the questions and everything yeah. and suddenly he felt this thing stuck in the small of his back <laughs> Stick him up, partner. I got you covered. <laughs> and I didn't need no whatever to help me ambush you, you see. So Des had no option but to slowly put his hands up in the air. Now, happily, the consultant realized what was going on and he milked it. <laughs> but anyway, Des was stuck there for quite a while and boy, did Shoots have his revenge. It was Oh, wonderful. that was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Wonderful, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Well, we don't have characters like that in Galway anymore, um, surprisingly. There was another lady from the Cladder and she was a mature lady and she wore very short dresses and she was known as Sweet Sixteen. That's I don't right. know if you came across her at all. I remember her well, yeah. yeah Very nice yeah. lady indeed, but she wore these ridiculous short, short dresses, shorter than a miniskirt, really. But she well, was. Well, she anticipated the mini. She, <laughs> I think she might have set the trend. Yeah, well, why not? Yeah, indeed. You she know, uh, I have her name written down somewhere. Yeah. I can, I can, she lived in Raven Terrace. Is that right? Is that yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we could we could do with a few more characters, but Galway's got so big now, you know, you 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 wouldn't find the characters that are there. No, know, no, I agree, I agree. It's awesome. the, yeah, the population has yeah. really exploded. Yeah, hasn't it yeah. just? Hasn't it just? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Tom, let's let's talk about this week. What what have you got in mind? Well, at this time of year in nineteen oh five, they installed a new organ in the Augustinian church on, oh, on the lovely. 26th of November exactly in 1905 and they celebrated this with the solemn high mass 
which was said by the bishop, uh, the Lord Bishop of Galway, and he was going to bless the organ. Uh, the sermon would come after the first gospel by the eloquent Capuchin preacher, Reverend Thomas, Father, Reverend Father Thomas, I beg your pardon. And the eminent organist, J. Purcell, uh, from Telford and Telford, Dublin, would preside at the organ. And, of course, there was a magnificent choir. Oh, now, <clears throat> this uh, organ was actually enormous and certainly very advantage or advanced for Galway at the time. It was in the West Gallery of the church, where it still is. Uh, it, it had a very handsome uh, varnished case of different specially selected woods, uh, and it stood 26 feet high and 25 feet wide. It's My a goodness. very big affair. The front pipes, uh, of which there were 63 in number, some of them are over 18 feet long, and some of them are gilt, and they, they give a genuinely good effect, warm effect in the church. As you as you look back from the altar towards the door, uh, this is the organ is over the door. So anyway, <clears throat> the sides of the organ were recessed, and so that was to give room for a choir. And uh, they so they played. They had all kinds of very exotic music uh, <clears throat> on that opening morning. Uh, they were playing. Uh, well, they blessed the organ initially, and then from the wings of a dove by Mendelssohn. All right, uh, pastoral and antino festive march at the end, uh, and the war march of the priests, which oh I don't goodness. know that I've ever heard. The war I march of the priests. No. The war. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, these were some of the musical pieces that were played on that day. Uh, the the um. Organ is actually a very integral part of the church, Isn't it? and it was obvious that music was going to be an important feature in the church from then on. Uh, yeah, like the total number of what are called speaking pipes in the organ was almost 2,000. Oh, my goodness. So it was a big beast of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it was on that day that the um, <clears throat> there are all kinds of technical things about the organ, but there's not much point in going into the. I don't understand them anyway, myself. But obviously, with an organ like that, you needed a choir as well. And for quite a while after the organ was installed, uh, the choir. Well, there were sort of non-committal people drifted in and out. They they didn't seem to want to commit themselves too much to it. Uh, but then this changed in the forties. When uh, <clears throat> the then uh, abbot, he decided to make Father Mansfield, Father Anthony Mansfield, he appointed him as the choir master. Oh, and things wow. became different from then on. Certainly he really great. set up the choir in its present format. It's a famous choir, Tom. It's a famous oh, choir. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is. Absolute. He, he recruited new talent. Uh, he brought them in from various places, young people and also some from other different church choirs. He, in 1952, he uh, got Mrs. Jean Byrne. She replaced Miss Biddy Halloran as the organist. And uh, <clears throat> some of those who were in the choir, in the bass line indeed of the choir at the time, were Jimmy Dooley, Paddy Corcoran, 
Tom Linsky, Paddy Kelly, Dickie Byrne, Jerry Glynn, and John Armitage. <clears throat> now, one of the features of the choir was and is the fact that so many of them have stayed with the choir for such a very, very long time. Indeed they have, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They just love singing, and it shows in, in their work as well. Yeah, it you does. Know? Yeah. So in the, the early Sopranos, they had Mary Garretti, who was, of course, very famous for her performances with the Patrician Musical Society. Uh, uh, Breda Green, Bernie Folan, Bernie Ryan, T.Z. Garrity, Grace Semple, and Nellie Dooley. And in the altos, there were Dolores Kelly, Lou Buchan, Bernie Corcoran, Maura Joyce O'Connor. And, yeah. of course, among the tenors were Johnny Clarity, Tom Coogan, and Sonny Malloy. Oh, good man. <laughs> they used to rehearse. That. Yeah. They used to rehearse in, in the room behind the sacristy on a Wednesday night and often after Mass on Sundays. And as I say, uh, one of the features was uh, their willingness to stay for a long time. So I have a photograph of the choir as well. Uh, I, the first illustration I have this week is of the program for the unveiling of the organ and the music that we're going to play. And then I have a photograph of the choir and it's a presentation that was made to Johnny Clarity, <coughs> excuse me, in 1985. And he was actually celebrating 50 years <laughs> in the choir on that particular day. Oh he joined the choir on the 18th of November in 1935. Right. And so anybody who ever went to the Augustinian will recognize a lot of these people. <coughs> like I say, some of them, Patricia Lillis, uh, she was playing at that point. She was playing the organ there for 28 years. She had Beautiful. come in after Jean Burke. Yes. Yeah. Sonny Malloy uh, joined Jimmy Dooley. They joined the choir in the very early 40s, you know, at that stage. So they were they were all heading for 50 years uh, in the choir as well. And uh, and it was always wonderful. And <clears throat> a thing I loved about the choir was <clears throat> you could almost tell the time of year <clears throat> from yes. some yeah. of the hymns that were singing, you know. Yes. Hail Glorious St. Patrick, obviously, was the month of March, all in the April evening. One of my favorite hymns. Oh, absolutely beautiful. And the way they sing it is just outstanding. Mm -hmm. uh, the Queen of the May. Yes. You know, exactly. Then we were coming into Christmas and uh, their wonderful range of Christmas hymns and especially <clears throat> the big crescendo at the end of Silent Night every year that would leave the whole place <laughs> almost in tears, really, you know. Yeah, but, but it wasn't all very serious. <clears throat> Excuse me. You could hear the occasional happy birthday or... Um, <laughs> song or uh, Galway Bay if, if we happen to be in a final or something like that yes, and um, I remember you know, yes. it was a bit of fun as well <clears throat> and lightheartedness but yes. always always very very high standards I think uh, Sonny Malloy who was the choir master for many years he was a very hard task master on them now he had very very high standards himself uh, but it showed in their work as well. they made a few records which are probably hard to find now. Uh, I say so. 
Yeah, one was a Christmas one, and one was hymns they would sing throughout the year. And uh, <clears throat> but they've done the city a great service when you think of it. Oh, there's no question, uh, no yeah. question. And Tom, listen, the Augustinian Church is a very interesting church itself. Now, it was originally uh, on Fort Hill. Now, you know yeah. where Fort Hill is. Very I interesting do. graveyard now and a high hill there around by the docks. Just just as you approach, you go around the docks and you approach Lakatoria Road. There's a little yeah. gate there, the cross over the gate. You go in there and a very interesting graveyard. That was the original site of the Augustinian Church in Galway. It was, indeed, it, yeah. It's, it's a very strategic site because they built a fort then the poor old priests, I think, were kind of ignored. But the garrison built a fort with with walls. Of, I read about the walls were sixteen feet high, so you can imagine standing on the hill and then standing on the battlements of a wall sixteen foot high. You'd yeah. see all over the town and oh, all yeah. over the bay. Yeah, yeah. You'd watch yeah. out for approaching ships. I mean, a very interesting place. Now, unfortunately, even though Galway could be well defended there. When Cromwell came to Ireland in the 17th century, they were afraid that he could use that fort and bomb, bombard the city with cannon. So they took it down. They took down the fort and they promised the Augustinians, we will build you a church in the middle of town. Don't worry. But of course, events overtook that promise and in came the Cromwellians. Absolutely brutal. A man called K uh, Colonel Peter Stubbers, a, yeah. an absolute beast of a man, a cropped hair. A That's a very polite way of saying it. I know he really <clears throat> was the man. The first thing he did was, Tom, he drove all the Catholics out of the town. He rounded them up and just kicked them out into the countryside. And of course, they were townies. They couldn't possibly survive. And then in the months that followed, he had great fun riding out with some of his henchmen, gathering them back sending them to Inishbofin before they were transported to the West Indies as slaves. I mean, yeah. unbelievable to think that Galwegians were slaves, but their descendants are still there in some of those islands, I understand. But yes. the other terrible thing he did, he came back. <laughs> I, I, I've read about him with great interest. Hardiman wrote about him with great interest. Stubbers came back into the town. He looked around all the lovely houses that were there. And of course, he was consumed with jealousy and greed. And he put a fine on the town of £400 a month be paid in installments of £100 a week. And of course, that was ruinous. The people tried to make that cost. Every Saturday it was collected, sound of drums. Now, if you didn't come forth with the money, he went into your house, he ransacked your house, he took all women's clothes particularly and sold them in the market and proceeded to actually physically knock down the houses that were there. An unbelievable destruction of Galway. Yeah. And the whole trade that Galway had with Spain was totally lost. It was one of the great beginnings of the tragic end of Galway, where it was once a wonderful, almost a glistening town on a hill, end up as a ruin. And we don't have many prosperous buildings today because of the Cromwells, really, because of their yeah. appalling behaviour in Galway. But anyway, sorry, I, I, I get lost. As you know, I do. <coughs> yes. and when it came to building the, the uh, Augustinian Church in Middle Street. Very interestingly, James Hardiman laid the foundation stone. And I think it was sometime 1855, 18, the 1850s. 55, Hardiman yeah. Laid, yeah. 18, yeah, 1855. Hardiman, and I don't know why James Hardiman, the great historian, do you know why he laid the stone, Tom? 
No, I don't, except that he was the historian of Galway. And yes. uh, and obviously it was a historic moment, having given up their Fort Hill yes. uh, premises. And uh, so maybe he, he was probably the most eminent Galwegian at the time. Well, in his in his history, he writes at length about the Cromwellian invasion of Galway and what yeah. they did. Of course, eventually, when the death of Cromwell itself, it all faded away. Some Cromwellians stayed behind; they farmed the land, and they were fairly decent people to their tenants. But still, it was an outrage. But going back to the church, it's very interestingly located right in the middle of town, on a crossroad. You have Middle Street, you have Saint Augustine Street, you have the little lane on either side of it. You know, it's it's beautifully located and a lovely yeah. church, I must say. And the, the choir fifth, that yeah. you talked about is a perfectly fitting image or, you know, a perfectly fitting, should I say, addition to that beautiful church. Yes, absolutely. It is. Yeah. It's the icing on the cake, really. Isn't it just? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's the sheer quality of the music and their singing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I love I love a choir. I must say, St. Nicholas's uh, Collegiate Church have the mag magnificent choir. They do, but there are other churches around and uh, where the choir managed to make even the most familiar hymns seem very unfamiliar altogether, yes. you know. Uh, <clears throat> so to run into choirs of high standards is, is very refreshing and uplifting. Well, I, I'm amazed not all church, all churches should have a choir, I think. I think there's a phrase Dick Ling used to use. Father Dick Ling, who was the parish priest of St. August, Augustinians for many years, he used to use the phrase, to sing is to pray twice. So That's right. That's <laughs> to sing right. is to pray twice. I thought yeah. it was a great phrase. I, yeah. I, I was very fond of Dick Ling. I'm sorry he left Galway. Yeah. Nice man. Ah, uh, yeah, indeed. So that's me for this week. Well, that's us right. too, Tom. Yeah, I love yeah, I yeah. love that story. I love the foundation. The fact that some of them were there for fifty years, my goodness, and their voices didn't break. I suppose. <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, not that I know of, anyway. Uh, well, yeah, Jerry Glynn had a lovely voice. My father was very fond of Jerry Glynn singing. Yeah, and of course, yeah, he had a magnificent bass he voice. Did. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the you don't forget. And you talked about it yourself in the Thaivark. They used to very bravely put on opera in Tregelga. That's and, right. Uh, my father used to go, not that he could speak Irish at all, at all, but if Jerry Glynn was singing, my father would go to hear Jerry Glynn sing. Right. Yeah. 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 And his wife, Dolores Kelly. Oh, she wonderful. sang in the choir as well. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Tom, will we leave it at that so? Okay, until next week, Ronnie. I look forward to it, Tom. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much, Tom. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. God bless. Well done. Take care.